All right. So we are in part three of a series we're calling Bring It. It's a series on revival. And do you want to see revival? You want to see God move and powerful things happen and just that special spark occur? I would love to see that. And I am fully convinced that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character is the same. He's not holding out on us. He's not holding back. So if we go to Him, He's going to do something. Now, we don't get to pick what that is. That's very important to realize. I mean, again, uh, I've, I've not been involved in laughing revivals or gold dust or things like that. Hey, if God wants gold dust, great. New teeth, fine. You know, laughing, awesome. What? There you go. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Praise God. Woo! So God can do what He wants, right? And He can use us in that. But what we don't want to do is say, okay, God, here's what you're going to do. And here's how we're going to get you to do it. That's not revival. That's foolish people trying to manipulate God. We do not have the power in this relationship between us and God. It's Him. So we want to be available to God. I believe if we make ourselves available, He will do mighty things. Amen? So in order to define revival, I have defined it as when people fully yield to God. You get a group of people fully yielding to God, that's revival. Have you ever half yielded to God? Maybe 20% yielded to God, maybe 3%, maybe 80%. Think of 100%. Everybody, 100% yielded to God. Lord, whatever you want. That is an atmosphere where God can move that I would call revival. God will move in a powerful way in that environment. Last couple weeks, we talked about bring it? What do you bring to the table in order to have revival? Uh, First week, we talked about bringing a humble and contrite heart. A humble and contrite heart. The prodigal son, the story of the younger son that Jesus told, this parable of uh, this man, he had two sons, and he had this tremendously wonderful business going on, agricultural business, and uh, the younger son said, hey, give me my inheritance. So the father was like, okay, divided the belongings between the two. The younger son went and wasted it all on wild living and and, uh, spent all the money, ran out of money. When he left, of course, he left with a big pile of cash and a desire to do things his own way. That's what he left with. And then he ran out of money. He became hungry. There was a famine in the land. He got a job feeding pigs, but they wouldn't feed him. And so he came to his senses and decided, I'm going home. And he brought something home with him that he didn't have when he left. When he came home, he had a humble heart. He said, I'm not going to do this my way. I'm going to do this your way. He said to his father, his plan, he didn't get through the whole thing. His speech he rehearsed, he didn't get through it all. But he said, I don't deserve 
I don't deserve to be here. You know, I, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Make me as one of your hired hands. And uh, <clears throat> so he came back with that humble heart and that contrite heart, that broken heart, saying, whatever you want to do, it's up to you. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just in. And uh, so he came back with that humble and contrite heart. And what was the father's response to that humble and contrite heart? He ran to his son. He ran to him. I do not believe that the prodigal son just happened to catch the father on a good day. And if it had been a different day, the father would have been like, yeah, jerk! But I think every time, every time when that son returns with a humble and contrite heart, the father runs to him. Every time. If it happened a thousand times, the response from the Father would be the same. Every time. When we bring a humble and contrite heart, what's the Father's response? To run. To come to us. Last week we talked about the spiritual climate. Bring the right spiritual climate. I'm feeling a nice climate in here this morning. You feeling a good climate? I'm liking it. We got some energy. We got some some good stuff going on here. There's a good climate. Of course, you've probably felt a variety of spiritual climates as time has gone on in different environments. Spiritual climate can be pretty tough. It can it can be it can be more like a a recital. anybody, anybody forced to play piano as a kid? I played piano for like 11 years. I was a, I got reasonably good at it. But there was always that recital. You know what I mean? Like where you go and you sit down and you're somewhere. One year we had it at the school. So the piano recital at the school. And there's always this pressure to not have your music up, you know, like, well, I've got it memorized, you know, I'm fancier than everybody else, whatever. And so, but everybody, is just tense. Do you remember that feeling of the tension of the piano recital? And everybody's just worried that there's going to be a mistake. There's no like, oh, I'm going to enjoy the moment. This is going to be great, you know, peaceful. No, it's just like, oh, I'm going to make a mistake. Oh, I'm going to make a mistake, mistake. Bad climate. Bad climate. We don't want church to be like that. Feel like a piano recital where if, if somebody makes a noise, all well, it's good. You know, get, make a, you know, just freak out because of it. We don't want to be like that. We're just relaxed, enjoy, good climate. Talked about a wonderful revival that happened in 1 Samuel chapter 19. Um, but here's the, the essence of that everybody brings a part of the climate with them, everybody has a piece of it. And if we bring faith and we bring worship, and we bring trust, and we bring love, and, and we bring hope, then if somebody comes in who has no faith, who has no hope, who is just grasping for something, when they come here, they will feel something in the air. And they will be able to receive something. There will be an overflow of love for them to receive. That's the climate of revival. So, bring a humble heart, bring a contrite heart, bring 
the spiritual climate, which by the way, even if you pray for like 10 seconds before you come in, man, does that make a big difference. Wow. Today, bring a towel. So, humble and contrite heart, the climate, bring a towel. Aaron's a Steelers fan. They had a terrible towel. I was not a terrible towel fan. Being a Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings fan. But I want you to understand we need to bring a towel. Bring a towel. What could he mean by that? Bring a towel. I asked Trinette if it was too obvious. And she was like, no, what are you talking about? I'm like, Great! You know how you like, if you name all your points with, that start with the same letter, you know, or something, then people are supposed to remember it better, you know, that sort of stuff. Well, this year, I'm gonna, I want you to like be thinking, what does he mean by towel? What does he mean by towel? What does he mean by towel? Be, be thinking about that as we go through, and it will be revealed. But, if you're thinking about that, then tomorrow, when you go, oh yeah, is something about a towel, what was it? Oh, and you'll remember it. Have you ever left church and you had no idea what the, what the guy said? You ever done that? I've done that. And that was the guy talking. That's why I have to have notes about what I said last week. It's important stuff. Doesn't mean it wasn't good, just couldn't remember. This is important to bring a towel. If we're going to really see revival, we need people to bring a towel with them. All right. Have you ever been disappointed? How about in your Christian life? Have you ever been disappointed? Or is, is it's not just all super awesome, everything's perfect all the time? <coughs> you know, there, there are disappointments in our Christian walk. There's a, for example, you know, when you pray a prayer, you ask God to... to heal you or to heal somebody else and you see that miracle it's just like Wah! and then you pray again and it doesn't turn out the same you had those experiences and then you're just like oh that's disappointing i've told some of those stories before when i was a brand brand new preacher guy I had no idea what i was doing um I asked the congregation, we had like eight people, uh, and I said, hey, uh, any, any testimonies or prayer requests? Anybody got a need? We'll pray for them. And uh, a guy named Stanley raised his hand. He said, yeah, I have a, a history of oral cancer and uh, was in remission, but now the sores are back. I'm going to the doctor tomorrow, and I'm scared. I'm like, all right, well, we're going to pray. <laughs> so we prayed, and, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to pray. So I prayed a little thing and looked up, and there's Stanley. And he's all happy. I'm like, hey, Stanley. He's like, how, how are you doing, Stanley? He's like, I felt the Holy Spirit touch me. I think I'm good. That's great. You know, he's like, oh, still have the sores in my mouth. I'm going to the doctor tomorrow, though, but I feel like I'm good. Like, that's awesome. So he went to the doctor, 
And he came back to church the next week and he said that there was no cancer. He still had the sores, but now they were starting to heal up and there was no cancer at all. And so he was like, woohoo, you know, he was very excited about that. And I thought, well, that's great. And then, in a different situation, we had a lady who had cancer. We called a bunch of churches together. We had special meetings just for her. And she did not survive. And it was like, it was hard. And so there's a maturing of our faith, learning to stand when things aren't happening how we want, learning to keep believing in the midst of difficulties and to to get through that without losing faith, but not being naive either. Being strong and holding on while we're working through that process. One of the great disappointments in my life as a Christian, because I grew up on the outside, had no idea about Christians. You know, no idea. One of the great disappointments for me was realizing that Christians tend to prefer division over unity. They tend to prefer division over unity. They tend to think about the things they don't like about other groups of Christians. They tend to think about the things they don't like about other specific Christians. They tend to prefer division over unity. And that was very disappointing because of the potential that the gospel has and the cost of division. Um... Let's go to John chapter 17. Did you know Jesus prayed for you? Not just in a broad kind of a... He prayed for us. For the people who would believe the message in the future. He prayed for us. And here's what He prayed in John chapter 17. He's been praying for the disciples, you know, the apostles, the ones that are there. And he continues for the people in the future. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that what? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them And you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So here twice, Jesus in this prayer for us ties the unity of the believer to the effectiveness of the gospel in reaching the world. The unity of the believer is tied to the effectiveness of the gospel reaching the world. If unity lets the world know about God, what does division let the world know? 
when I was, I think I was a new believer, those early years were kind of hard to tell because I had a, you're familiar with a critical spirit, right? You guys have heard about that? Yeah. I, I had a, I had a, uh, boy, like a world-class critical spirit. It was a good one. You know, I mean, it was up there. I was good at it. You know, highly skilled. Um, self-righteous, could see all the faults in everybody else and just was infuriated with how terrible these people were, you know. Um, it just had this critical spirit. We talk about it as uh, as if it's discernment, but it's really just a critical spirit. But I remember thinking, I think at the time there was 600 different denominations in the United States. And of course, they're different because they don't agree with each other. And I thought, well, the very best case scenario is one is right and 599 of them are wrong. That's as good as it could possibly get. What's the big jump in having all of them be wrong? Right? What's the big jump? What message does division send to those outside of faith? What is the cost of division? If we have to pay for it, what does it cost us? Division costs the gospel. It costs letting the world know the good news of Jesus. Division costs the gospel. And I, my, early in the morning my notes come out mean. I'm really a nice guy. <clears throat> but my notes say, and it's true, I am shocked at how many people are willing to pay that price. How many people are perfectly content to keep their division at the cost of the gospel? Perfectly content. They'd rather have their animosity, or they'd rather have their complaint, they'd rather have their problem with so-and-so and such-and-such in this ministry and that thing than have the gospel be stronger and have us stand unified and show who God is. So this is big stuff, isn't it? Got to bring a towel. We're going to have revival. You got to bring a towel. Now, who grants this prayer of Jesus? He wants us to be unified, brought to complete unity. Throw the second half of that one up there again, Seth. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know something really, really important. Brought to complete unity. Not just tolerating each other while they secretly despise one another, but brought to complete unity. Who grants this prayer? Jesus prayed it. Who grants it? Who grants this prayer? I tell you, you and I have a piece of it. I mean, we can't do it on our own, obviously. But each one of us 
We have a piece of it. Isn't that amazing? We have a piece of granting a prayer of our Lord. How powerful is that? What's the cost of division? To say no to that prayer. Say, forget it. In this one spot, I have the power to grant something to you, and the answer is no. Dare I say that? <laughs> we need a Christian Attila the Hun. Amen? Amen? We need a Christian Attila the Hun. You know what Attila the Hun did? He took the, the Mongolian barbarian tribes of the, the steppe, you know, the vast plains of Mongolia and Russia and China. He unified those barbarian tribes into one huge army and he nearly conquered the Roman Empire. Just warring barbarians. They couldn't get along with anybody. He said, you know what, guys? Let's quit killing each other. And let's go south. Because we can do this. And they all said, you know, you're right. Let's do it. And he unified the barbarian tribes of the Mongolian steppe. What if the Christians all got together? What could happen? What would occur? What would be conquered? We need a Christian Attila the Hun. Come on. So what if, what if we had one? What if all the Christians worked together? What would happen then? You know, I went to the Toby Mac concert last night, and uh, knowing that this was the sermon topic, I thought to myself, this group could never make a church, because, you know, you know how it is at church. Wow. Do you see that person over in section B? Do you know what they did last Thursday? You know, and they've got all this stuff going on. Well, at a Christian concert, it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't evaluate the crowd and be like, well, I'm not coming to this concert because those people are... You, you just don't do that. But how many people have I talked to that don't want to come to church because of other people that come to church? Well, yeah. It just, you know, it's bothersome. What's the price we pay? What if we all work together? Well, then the truth would set us free. Let's reread John 8, 31 and 32. We've gone over this last couple weeks, but it's powerful. To the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to His teaching, we're going to go over a couple teachings here real quick. If we hold to Him, then we are really His disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Is free good? Yes. 
Is knowing the truth good? What is the condition for that? We have to hold to His teachings. We have to do what He says. What did He say we were supposed to do? John 13, 34, and 35. What did Jesus say we were supposed to do? A new command I give you. Love one another. We're to love each other. How? Like Valentine's Day. No. Like saying it but not meaning it. A new... When it's convenient. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Is this a, you know, optional? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, what? It's just all over the place. If we're together... It's the gospel shown to the world. If we're apart, it's the opposite. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How has Jesus loved you? Jesus loved me when I was still a sinner, making fun of people who believed in Him and trying to talk them out of their faith. Jesus loved me when I was a new Christian with a chip on my shoulder that hated pastors and Christian leadership because it's their fault. Because, I mean, whose fault is it? (laughs) I mean, right? I'll give you a little hint. If something just gets you Like, oh, they should be doing the nursery differently. That's probably a a inward showing of a calling you have, but it's just been twisted and distorted into something negative. So whatever the thing is that bites you, that's probably where you're called. (laughs) That was my experience anyway. How has Jesus loved you? I think the word unconditional is the best word. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Let's look at another teaching in John chapter 13. This is... Jesus getting His disciples ready to be alone without Him. John 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He now showed them the full extent of His love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around His waist. If we're going to have revival, we need to bring a towel. 
He wrapped a towel around his waist. Let's keep going. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Now, I never suggest saying no to Jesus. I don't suggest that at all. But Peter's heart was actually in a good place because Jesus was taking the place of the lowest of slaves and Peter is saying, you are not under me. You can't wash my feet. You can't be the one who puts himself in that relationship with me. He just didn't know how to handle that. So he says, no. Have you ever had your feet washed? It's profoundly uncomfortable. (laughs) No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So in great Peter fashion, he flies into the other ditch. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath need only wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. That is what I am. Did Jesus consider himself to be a lowly slave, terrible person that should be washing the feet of the disciples? No, he knew he was in that place of being teacher and Lord. But he humbled himself into the position of the lowest of slaves to wash their feet. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. What would Jesus do when confronted with the believer's stinky feet? Would he just sort of be disgusted by them and then later go talk to somebody else? You should have seen their feet. I'm not going there again. Those stinky feet over there. Man. I think all those people have stinky feet. (laughs) I'm just going to stay home, stay away from those stinky feet. I have said, washing feet is uncomfortable too. Not just getting them washed. This is very uncomfortable stuff. Especially when you realize what they're actually talking about, which is when I have wronged you or you have wronged me or there's something in your life that needs to be dealt with and people need to interact with each other and get through those things without breaking relationship and staying in a place of love. That's that's tough. Man, what if... What if when we become aware of stinky feet, our response is to do what Jesus did? 
instead of to point and judge, instead of to break fellowship, instead of any number of false reactions. What if every believer took off their fancy robe and put on a towel and knelt down? Remember I talked about what if God had a hammer? What could he do with his incredible ability, unlimited creativity, omnipotence? You could do something with a hammer. What if God had a person? You know, the difference between a hammer and a person is a hammer never says no. What if God had a hammer and a screwdriver and a circular saw and one of those sawzalls, you know, and, and a big drill and, and everything that Home Depot had to offer? What if God had that? What could he do? But what if the hammer said, I'm not pounding any nails as long as that screwdriver is here? Forget it. That saw is rusty. I'm not not going to be involved in building any house that saw is involved in. Rusty saw. We'll form an organization to protest rusty saws. Bunch of hammers getting together. Talking about how bad saws are. They're all rusty. A hammer doesn't refuse to hit nails when there's a screwdriver around. How impossible would it be to build a house if the tools all argued with each other? The things I've heard Christians complain about. Oh man. (laughs) The things I've heard Christians complain about. It's mind-boggling how great a desire for division Christian people have because of the lame things they will complain about. They obviously have a deep desire to complain and to find something that's wrong because they're grasping so often. I'm not going to mention the things I've heard Christians complain about, but it would be hilarious. I'm not going to because it might hurt people who have complained about those things. And I mean, seriously. I mean, we, we do like tongues and interpretation and prophecy and stuff like that. I mean, man, I mean, that's stuff that's it's out there. You've got to have some love. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is all about love. And then chapter 14 is, and here's how you do it in the local church setting. Okay, it's like, yeah, you know what? God's called different people to do different things. It's awesome. You got to love each other. Whole chapter. And now here's how you do it. That's why it was set up like that. Because it's tricky. I'm going to tell you a story about a lady in a church about our size in DeKalb, Illinois, when I was about 24, maybe. 
23, 24. Fairly new Christians still had that attitude. Um, and there was a lady, when we would sing songs in the worship time, she was so shrill and just off some. And it was, it made your head kind of turn. You know, I mean, it was bad. And I didn't know who she was. And so I, I always wanted to try to be as far away from her as possible so that I could worship God and not be distracted by this shrill singing lady. And one time, since I didn't know what she looked like, the song service started up. She's right behind me. She's the person directly behind me. And here it comes, this noise, you know. And I remember the song. I remember what song it was. And you guys know that song probably. We worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. And so she's singing that, and it's just like, oh, and it's right there. You know what I mean? Like I could touch her. And I thought, I got, I've got to peek and see what she looks like so that I can sit somewhere else next week. Because, wow, I cannot worship God with this noise. And so, so I peeked. And you want to know what I saw? I saw a little lady. She appeared to be about, no, 55 is my guess. And she had her hands in the air. And she had her eyes closed. And she had tears coming down her cheeks. And she was worshiping God. She was loving Jesus. And it, you know how that happens. I'm like, oh, I'm the guy who doesn't like that. Oops. <laughs> I'm the guy who wishes that wasn't happening. That's not a good guy. And then from that time on, I listened for her. And it was beautiful. You know what I mean? It still sounded the same. But in my heart, it was like, there's somebody loving Jesus right now. I can hear her loving Jesus. And I just thought, hallelujah, we worship you, almighty God. We need to love one another We need to bring a towel. And even in this case, she, her feet didn't need to be washed. It was just on me. But rather than bringing unnecessary criticism and division, we need to bring a towel. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. We're going to close. <clears throat> If we're going to come together and worship God, have revival, if God's going to move, we're going to be together and there's going to be dirty, stinky feet. It's just a simple fact. My feet, your feet, everybody's feet, they're going to get stinky from time to time. Don't point and complain. Bring your towel.
wrap it around you, and kneel down and wash some feet. <clears throat> let's just let's just close close our eyes and and uh, <clears throat> let's just ask God, ask Jesus how much He loves us. The way He loves us, we're to love one another. Father, we, we acknowledge Your grace, Your mercy. And Lord Jesus, we know Your love is deep. Your love, your love is not on the surface. Your love is not selfish. Your love is unconditional and powerful and wonderful. Your love is what makes us who we are. Lifts us up out of the miry clay and the muck into a wonderful place. Talk about being clean. Lord, what a challenge to love like You do. What a challenge. Empower us. Strengthen us. Let us know the depth of Your love so that we can have extra. So that we can be loved so much that we can love those who don't like us. So that we can love those who have wronged us. So that we can love those with dirty feet. Whatever that may mean in each situation. Lord, help us to have extra so that we can love like You love. Father, I just pray a blessing over each one in this place. I pray Your strength be in us. I pray Your resolve be with us. I pray, Lord, Your ability to see the Father's business done his work accomplished would be within us. Lord, I know You've got hammers and nails and screwdrivers and saws and, and two-by-fours and drywall and tape and paint and you got everything you need. Let us not push each other away so that Your house would not be built. But Lord, let us embrace one another in love like You love. So help us to stand strong. Give us strength by Your Spirit to walk in Your ways, to do what You have done, and to see the amazing, wonderful miracle that comes from that. So again, I pray blessings over each one here. Let Your hand be with us and Your light shine in us that this world may know. Praise be to Your name. If you have a prayer need, I want you to come forward. Come down here and, and just pray with the prayer team. They will pray with you. Otherwise, um, you're dismissed. You can go out, say hi to somebody, love somebody that you haven't met just by saying hi and encouraging them in the Lord and have a blessed day.